and welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, and I'm so pleased to have you here today. Uh, I'm also so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, she's the host of the amazing podcast, The Witchy Historian. Please welcome Kristalina May. Hi, Kristalina. How are you? Hi, Amberly. I'm doing well. Uh, recovered just recently from COVID, so I'm doing much better, thank goodness. Ready to get back uh, to life again. Yeah, that's never a fun thing to have to uh, to get through. <laughs> no, it really isn't. It was my second round with it since 2020, and uh, I'm I'm ready for it to go away. Yeah, so, <laughs> I think a lot of us are. I feel ya. I feel ya. Well, no worries. <laughs> I'm glad you're feeling better and able to join me today. Um, why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, your practice, where you're from, et cetera. Yeah. So I am going to be 37 this year. I am a first-year graduate student at the University of Virginia as a history, in the history program. Um, I specialize in early modern European religion, law, and gender. So I'm looking at the intersectionality of those three different concepts. Uh, in my research, I'm also a mother of four. I have an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a four-year-old. So my life is very, very busy. Um, I grew up in Minneapolis, currently living in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, uh, yeah, my practice, I'm just an eclectic pagan witch. I have ADHD and all kinds of other stuff. So I'm always <laughs> kind of forgetful and trying to remember, like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's a full moon tomorrow. Got to figure that out. So um, a little bit of chaos going on, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I work with uh, Apollo, Loki, Morrigan, and currently Artemis. Um, not sure how long Artemis is going to stick around, but Apollo and Loki have both been around for over two years now, and I've been with Morgan for over a year. So Great. Great. So uh, we always, we, okay, it's just me now. <laughs> so I always like to start uh, with asking, what are you drinking? Are you drinking anything exciting? So, currently, I'm drinking uh, sweet tea from McDonald's, which is not exciting. But <laughs> um, what I've been drinking and I'm super into is we have a world market right down the road, okay. and they have a Tahitian vanilla bean uh, coffee, and I've been taking that, brewing that, put a little salt in there to make it nice and smooth, and then I add a little bit of lavender syrup oh. and oat milk, so it's just kind of like a, an oat milk coffee, but it's got a little bit of hint of that stringy lavender, and it's kind of bringing in the sunshine, so I'm digging it. That sounds awesome. That sounds great. I love World Market. It's It's really good, and I'm... A big fan. I did not know that World Market was a thing until about three months ago, and I'm in love. So, <laughs> yeah, you really got to be careful. You can go in and you're like, you pick up all their little, you know, two, three dollar things, and then all of a sudden, you've spent two hundred dollars. Yep. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> it's like, it's like the the import target. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's. The thing is that when we go to when we go to World Market, we are we're either like we go directly in, get the coffee, and leave immediately, or we're going to be there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are you reading right now? Anything exciting? Um, well, being in graduate school, I'm always reading, and I'm reading a lot of things right now. But the big uh, three that I'm reading. Uh, one for research is Marriage, Separation, and Divorce in England by K.J. Kesselring and Tim Stratton. Very, very good book. Really breaks down how the law and women were viewed, kind of that idea of gender and how that was portrayed in law in court cases, dealing with divorce and separation and marriage. It's a very, very interesting concept. And Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. It is a nonfiction book. She talks about a lot of anecdotal things. Kind of, can you can you let Mama do her thing now? <laughs> My daughter showed up. 
Um, and she's talking about uh, how to write and basically get through writer's block and being in the middle of my thesis semester when my whole core cohort is trying to write our theses mm-hmm. or theses. Uh, that, that's the book that we're reading for that course. And it's a really, really interesting book. And it's kind of funny, very tongue-in-cheek, uh, very 1990s <laughs> vibe. It was written in, like, 96, <laughs> I think. But um, it's got a lot of interesting and pretty good advice in it. And then for fun, because I, I have to read for fun, otherwise I forget that I like reading, uh, I am reading a book called A Duke guide to seducing his bride by lauren royal and it's one of the better written ones that i've read recently so sounds great (laughs) yeah Uh, that just sounds awesome sounds like um maybe what what i might call like a smut book is it a smut book it's a little smutty it's not the main part of the story but it definitely shows up a few times and uh, kind of kind of has this fun little adds a fun little twist to the to how they end up even getting married and how they fall in love and it's a whole very very fun thing. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing against smut. <laughs> I do. Read you know smut. what? <laughs> Sometimes a trashy book is just necessary well, yeah. to get through the awfulness of life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not quite to the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey level of enjoying the smut, but I do, I mean, yeah, I like a little. <laughs> I, I, I did make it through the Fifty Shades series, but I could not make it through Twilight. So, ah, see, I'm the opposite. That helped. Yeah, see, I could not make it through Twilight. But I also was reading, like, Charles Dickens, who is, like, very well-known for being super long-winded and very descriptive and super kind of flowery in his prose. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I was used to reading that, and I've been reading that since I was, like, nine or ten. And so going from that to all of a sudden, it was really cool to read Twilight, and I was like, what is this? That's funny. <laughs> so um, not to disparage it at all. It's just not my style of book. No, you know? I get That's it. That's all it is. I get it. Yeah. All right. So um, we were just discussing books. Yes. And <laughs> then we lost recording. So we'll just move on. Do you have a favorite metaphysical or occult book? Okay, so it's really hard for me to pick favorite books because I, hear I am a little bit of a book hoarder. So we have over 700 books that are actually here in Charlottesville with us and at least two or three more big boxes of books that we left at his parents in Wisconsin when we moved. <laughs> so, like, we have a collective family problem <laughs> with books. Um, so picking a book is really hard, but the first book that I got when I first started practicing is called Solitary Witch. It is a book of shadows by Silver Ravenwolf. And while she is slightly problematic, everything that we gather and read as practicing psychics and witches, we should be reading them with a grain of salt, right? Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be taking everything at face value anyway. Um, But there is a lot of interesting information, interesting perspective, and there has not been a single spell in that book that has not worked for me. Now, I don't do it identically and exactly how she does it. I definitely take the core of it and I rewrite the words to fit my, my practice, my, you know, however it fits what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But that core fundamental has been very, very effective. And one of my most effective spells has come directly out of that book. And I 
hey, if you need to get somebody out of your life and like get them to sleep to leave you alone, this is the one for you. <laughs> and it works every time. It works every time. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Hey, you know what? So that is one of them. I think that, I mean, I know Silver Raven Wolf has her issues, but she's she's one of the ones that paved the way for the rest of us. So that's Exactly. That's and I think there is kind of that balance of um, respect, respect, respect is due. Mm-hmm. We can still respect people while still questioning their other issues, right? Yeah. We can still hold people accountable while being respectful to ourselves. Yes. And yes. I think that's kind of where this is. So that's one of my top books. The other two, we get one every year. It's The Witch's Almanac. I will not go a year without it. There's so much good information in there. There's multiple different authors and practitioners from all kinds of different paths that are experienced, that share different lore and different herbology and different stories and histories. And it's a really, really great book. And it has very detailed calendars of when things happen astrologically, mm-hmm. when to plant your garden, different things like that. It's a really, really useful book. And um, finally, The Witch's Book of Self-Care. Okay. Because self-care is like, that being a witch is self-care for me. Right. So that is one of the, if, if anyone asks me, what is the one book that you think I should get, that's the one. And what, who's the author of that one? I let me see if I can pull it off my shelf really quick because it's right here. Okay. It is Erin Murphy Hitchcock. Yeah, I actually as soon as I asked you that and you hopped up, I realized I actually have that book too. <laughs> All right, so uh, just an FYI, folks, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Uh, gotta love podcasting. Uh, so we're going to switch switch it up a little bit and talk uh, about altars. So, Crystalina, if you could choose three things uh, to keep on your altar, what would they be? Well, for me, it really depends upon the altar. So I have, like, five official altars and, like, eight million unofficial altars in my house. Um, but the one that I have at my bedside that I use the most often currently has a flower agate flame because I'm trying to reconnect with my divine feminine because despite the fact that I know I am a woman, I hate being a girl (laughs) and I am moving into a phase of my life where I am perimenopausal. I am done having kids. I'm moving into like this kind of more career early crone type phase and mm-hmm. um it it is a different it's a different vibe and so I'm kind of just trying to get down with my divine feminine so that flower agate flame is sitting there and she will sit at my bedside the rest of my life that thing has changed my life um I also have a labradorite palm stone and I have a chunk of lab everywhere in my house um, it is my go-to to shield, to help me focus, to help me kind of just like get my head on right. It's incredible. Um, so Labradorite is like a number one thing. And the other thing, the last thing, the most important thing that is on my bedside altar are my meds. And I put them by my crystals. So they're constantly being charged and like, having magic and tension funneled into them so that when I take those meds, which are the one thing that I remember to do every day, (laughs) (laughs) I know that that additional intention is also being added to my body at the same time. That's great. That's that's my that's that altar. Those are my three things that will never leave it. So I'm really excited to ask you this question because I know your answer is going to be different than what I normally get. So if you could meet any witch in the present or in history, who would it be? So I actually kind of agonized over this question for a few minutes because there are so many incredible women that 
were witches or that were accused of being witches that you just kind of want to like pick their brain, right? But mm-hmm. for me, what it came down to, especially as a woman of color who was raised by my white mom, who pulled me intentionally pulled me away from my family of color, I would want to talk to any woman of color, think Tituba, a Native American person, anything like that, who was accused of being a witch and ostracized or persecuted for that just for engaging in their cultural practices. So I'm thinking of people that lived in the bayou down in Louisiana and in the backwoods back there, and they would call them witchy women, but they were really just practicing natural medicine Mm -hmm. and um, or cultural practices that they had learned and had been passed down through generations and generations as a means of survival in a very intense, dangerous situation. And Mm -hmm. so those are the people that I would like to talk to. And I can't name one person, but those are definitely the people that I would like to talk to because I believe that it would change the way that we view the idea of witchcraft and what is a positive or negative thing. And I think a lot of that would shift it away from the positive, negative, light or gray or dark or whatever into this kind of more interesting idea that we see in a lot of it's a really common concept in Eastern religions and in African religions where they talk a lot about balance, universal balance. And this is one of the things that I talk about in my practice on the off chance that I feel led to do some type of um, dark magic, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it is because I believe that we are called to use our power to restore balance when there has been an imbalance created by harm or injustice. So that's something that's really important to me as just kind of as a person. And that is the thing that really jumped out to me is like everyone that was popping into my head that I was like, yeah, that one. I was like, wait a minute. These are all women of color who were falsely accused of being witches just because they were engaging in their cultural practices. So that's what I want to meet. So we're going to switch it up a little bit and talk a little bit about divination. Do you have a favorite tarot or oracle deck? So um, I had to retire my favorite tarot deck because I got her shortly after I began practicing. She's right here. Um, but her poor corners are starting to peel when I shuffle her. Oh, no. And so I can't shuffle her anymore without damaging her. And uh, that is the Steampunk Tarot by Barbara Moore. It is a gorgeous, beautiful deck. And I am a steampunk fanatic. Being a historian, of course I am. That totally makes sense. But I I love that the entire aesthetic of the entire deck. It's just a gorgeous, beautifully drawn deck um and it really helped me learn tarot um when i didn't really have any guidance prior to that and then my oracle deck um this is the first one i bought for myself is the celtic tree oracle and i use this on a pretty regular basis um and it has the runes and the trees and the um, adjacent herbs and it has not just the interpretation of the card but the actual message that that holds for the person who draws it and it's a really really Mm -hmm. great um, it's a really great deck and I definitely recommend it for anyone who is interested in getting into oracle work nice nice very good the Celtic tree oracle deck is that do you have it right next to you? Yeah. Because I think I have it. I don't have it. It's. <laughs> I just saw the back of it. I don't have it at all. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it's that's beautiful. Gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and if you look at like, oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Like the art is just absolutely beautiful, and they're numbered. And in the book, it explains um, the dates when it is in its peak of the season for each. Oh, that's great. Different tree. Um, it explains the totem animals that go along with it according to Celtic lore, uh, the deities and guides that are connected to it, the letters it's associated with, the class it's associated with, um, keywords, inner reading, gives you the reversed meaning as well, and then it has that individual message. And the messages are just absolutely, they're so meaningful. And if I'm trying to do like a fast reading, that's what I use is the message that's in there because it is so, it is so clear and um, it's, it's very clear and concise, but in this very mothering, gentle, informational way. And it's a very, very, I, I, I very much love this deck um, because it doesn't make it confusing but it doesn't mm-hmm. make you feel like crap after you read it. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. So because, it's a gentle deck. Yeah, it, it, is a, it is a very gentle deck, but it's very honest as well. And I appreciate that about it. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, you can be honest and not be a jerk, right, Dex? Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm looking at you. <laughs> Sometimes they get a little ornery with us. And um, mm-hmm. I have I have one that likes to call me out like that, and I'm like, would you stop? Because I did yeah. not need that today. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes I do need it, but it is also kind of nice to not have that energy. And if I get a reading uh, when I'm pulling for myself that is really kind of harsh like that Mm -hmm. I will almost always pull out the Celtic tree and I will pull an oracle for myself both for clarity and just to kind of give myself that kind of soothing balm over the top of the kind of double-edged sword of the tarot reading that could be a little bit less bitey you know (laughs) yeah that's funny so Tell me about your podcast. Okay. So I've been talking about doing a podcast for like two years. And I was like, nobody's going to want to listen to me. I have the most annoying voice on the face of the earth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought too, actually, about me. Right. And... I don't know enough to do anything. I don't know what I would do it on. I know what I'm passionate about, but I don't know enough about anything. And then I went to Anahata's Purpose. And I was like, well, I, yeah, I don't have a choice anymore. Um, a lot of things got blown open for me at at Anahata's Purpose. And it was a really, really necessary step in my growth, both as a practitioner and in my career as a historian. So I specialize in early modern Europe, right? There's a lot of witch trials. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff going on (laughs) during this time. We're talking about the Reformation. There's religious laws occurring. And there's all of this these new rules that are placed around family and gender and all of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have kings coming along and demonizing women because they wear trousers or because they own cats. And it's this really volatile situation. There's a lot of uncertainty. Everybody's afraid of germs, but they don't know what germs are. So they're just generally afraid. Um, mm-hmm. They want to blame everybody else instead of being like, hey, maybe we should take a bath, <laughs> you know. Um, and so there's a really interesting dynamic of fear and paranoia going on during this period of the early modern leading up to the witch trials in the 1600s that occurred under mm-hmm. King James I, especially in England. 
and Scotland. Well, throughout this whole process, I'm studying the law. I'm studying religious changes that are how, how the structure of the church is changing through the Reformation, and I'm studying how this impacts how gender is viewed in society. Mm -hmm. I'm coming across all of these stories about witch trials, but I don't get to study them, despite the fact that I am so fascinated by them. So I decided that I was going to make that the historian part of my podcast. (laughs) That's great. These little tidbits that I gather over time that tell the history of the church, how heresies became witchcraft, how they started trying things as heresies versus sorcery, and the shifts that happened there. Um, And this goes all the way back to the 12th century, the 1100s. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that was already happening before the Reformation. The Reformation is a really big part of how the witch trials even developed. And so in order to get to that part of the story, I have to go all the way back into the Middle Ages. And so that's what I did. And um, so I get to do some of this kind of historical research, and I get to use these types of sources and this information that I have access to as a scholar, as somebody who's a historian, that most people don't. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just a travesty. I think that education should be available to everybody. I don't think we should be gatekeeping information. I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially historical information. Right. Um, so I have found a way, and my undergraduate degree was in public history. So this is right up my alley. So this is a form of public history, of doing history for the public in public spaces. And um, my professor who is leading our master's essay course this term, he also has a podcast. And he was, like, super excited that I was also doing a podcast. (laughs) Um, He's like, yeah, yeah, if you need any tips, let me know. Um, And it's been a really great adventure uh, to start on. And what I – as I started kind of developing this idea, I – was like, oh, I want to talk about these witch trials, but I don't want to talk about it in the way that we've always talked about it, because uh-huh. everybody's done a witch, a witch trials podcast or a book or a show, or uh-huh. I want to talk about the things that led up to this. I want to talk about the sociocultural things, the religious stuff, the legal stuff. There's so much that goes into this that we just don't understand because it's not made available to the ordinary person. Right. So I want to talk about all these things, but I want to juxtapose it against what a modern witch actually looks like. And that's how I got the witchy historian. So I'm talking cool. to my friends and the people that I've met at Anahata's Purpose and through the Witch Witch Amateur Hour kind of Facebook group and other Mm -hmm. Facebook groups that I've now joined through other podcasts and including yours and uh, Two Geminis and Leo and all of these other groups and some of the most amazing people that I have ever met in my entire life have become part of this kind of circle where we exchange information openly and willingly and we're constantly feeding each other and Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm standing there with a stick in front of a chalkboard. We're all having dialogue and conversation about it. So it's, and that's what I wanted. That's what I really wanted. And I have friends that were like, oh, this is going to be so great for you. I said, I don't want this platform for myself. I'm just sharing the information that I've learned and that I know. I want this platform to also lift all y'all up because I have a lot of friends also that are, they have these amazing businesses and talents that they do and they're trying to get them off the ground and they're like, how do I do this? I don't know. It costs a lot of overhead. 
if you don't mm-hmm. have a huge network. And yep. I'm like, let me help you build a network. And so that's what I've decided to do is instead of making this my show, it's a podcast where I get to share my information, but then I also get to make a, a space for important people and amazing, talented, incredible people to have a platform to share their experiences, to share their talents, to share their um, new adventures. And uh, I'm really, really excited to be able to, to provide that for even just some of the people out there, because I right. feel like it doesn't get, it doesn't happen as much as I think it should, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. It's important to have people that are passionate like that about sharing and lifting and uplifting and just, yeah. Oh my God. I just stuck my hand in dog slobber. (laughs) Wow. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, yeah, we have a, a hound and our whole couch looks like that. Yeah. My my newfie, he likes to leave me presents. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, that was gross. Um, I asked you on today, A, because I wanted to talk to you, but B, because I know you have a perspective about the spring equinox that I have not covered yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't mean to, like, make you feel like <laughs> But do you have something – fun and historical to share about the spring equinox? So, you know, the spring equinox, uh, Sarah, it's a very interesting development how this pagan kind of springtime celebration became a Christian holiday, or Mm -hmm. it's called the Christian holiday anyway. Right. Um, So, of course, uh, supposedly, it was named after the goddess um, o- Oste- Oester, but the speculation about this, it's not necessarily, it's really hard to trace it back because we can trace the word origin to multiple sources. So instead, it's, it's, we just don't have any evidence that this goddess existed in any myths, lore, or traditions prior to the Christian church coming in. So we have kind of, and that's not to say that she didn't, Mm -hmm. we just don't have solid evidence of it. So historically it's kind of hard to say that it was definitely named after her. Um, And the mentions that we do have, there's only a handful, very vague mentions, uh, you know, of her name. And they simply state that she was celebrated with feasts. And these are recorded by early Christian monks that go into the Celtic islands. That's it. That's that's the mentions we have. So we don't know. We don't know. Um, So there's this, where does the name come from? And there's a lot of different ideas about how there was possibly a rune or there was other feasts that kind of got folded into to each other to create mm-hmm. this newer version of old traditions um, that then were co-opted by the Catholic Church. Um, but there's no details of her attributions, kind of like what kind of activities and foods were used during these feasts or anything like that. Uh, there's not even really a mention of which culture she's from. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, there's these celebrating this goddess in the spring, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so it is entirely possible that she was entirely made up by the by the early Christians to try and demonize the pagans. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that festivals were happening around the spring equinox long before Christianity came along. These festivals were happening. We have Jewish festivals. We have uh, all of these other religions and faith paths and cultural traditions that 
celebrated as spring equinox because this is when we prepared to plant our food. This is a big deal. Just like the harvest is a big deal in literally every culture. So, yeah, this is a really, really big deal. So just like any other Christian holiday, it stands to reason that most of the traditions of the modern Christianized holidays were stolen from pagan and indigenous practices. And when I say indigenous, I'm not just talking about Native American. I'm also talking about indigenous Celtic, indigenous um, Scandinavian, indigenous European. There's a lot of different ethnic groups that lived in all kinds of different areas through, throughout there. So sacred sites marking the equinox exist on multiple continents and from various cultures. One of the most famous of these is, of course, Stonehenge. Right. So while Gerald Gardner, the founder of Wicca, um, he is responsible for the creation of Ostera as an official holiday, the mm-hmm. traditions that it is based on come from longstanding practices that date back to antiquity. So the Celts celebrated Alban Eiler, the Romans celebrated Bacchnalia, uh, the ancient Greeks celebrated the return of Persephone to the surface and the birth of Aphrodite. Norse traditions celebrated Thor smashing through the ice of winter with his magic hammer. <laughs> you know. So the one thing that all of these celebrations had in common was that they celebrated the beginning of the planting season, like I said. So the return of the sun and fertility. So this is a really big theme. And this speaks to the fact that despite all of this ethnic and cultural diversity across the entire world, there is still this common thread between all of humanity, that there's two things that every single culture celebrates, spring and the planting and the harvest and preparing for winter. And both of those surround community. These are feasts. These are things that we're meant to do together as groups, as communities, as neighbors, as families. These were not times to like go off and hide. These were times to come together and these were huge festivals. And I just, I think that is a really, really fascinating part of human history and humanity and showing how we are all human. No matter what our differences are, we are all human. There's a very common thread throughout all of these different cultures. And it's not hard to find. All we got to do is look for it. That's awesome. That's great. So do you celebrate the Sabbath? I try. <laughs> so um, That's okay. We all try, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I... We always try to do a little bit of something. We usually end up cooking a meal or baking Mm -hmm. something, like, around that weekend. Um, A lot of these, a lot of these um, Sabbaths fall on weird days. So we end up kind of being like, okay, well, it's landed on Thursday, so we're just going to do it on Friday. But mm-hmm. many of these festivals traditionally lasted up to a week. Like, so right. we're not really, like, breaking tradition if we do it three days later. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing, too, is that it's okay for us to make our own path with these. Just because we're following the tradition doesn't mean we have to be, like, it has to be on the astronomical day every mm-hmm. year, you know. It's right. okay. It's okay to make it work for you. And that's something that we've managed to do in our house um which has been really great with a toddler and then my partner also is a practitioner he's actually been a practitioner for almost 18 years now and so we have different dynamics and we all practice in different ways and being able to still honor all of that but still do things together is really really Mm -hmm. important to us and it makes our household a super fun kind of crazy but entertaining place to be 
That's great. That's great. Do you have a favorite Sabbath? So it's kind of like cliche Samhain. Um, but for me, the reason Samhain is my favorite is because this is when I do my ancestor work. This is when it's easiest mm-hmm. for me to do. So my dad hangs around with me all the time. Um, my dad was, as I mentioned earlier, kind of like pulled out of my life by my mom uh, mm-hmm. or rather pushed. When I was really young, I have memories of him, but not a lot. And he passed away when I was 15. So I never got a chance to reconnect with him. And so I do a lot of ancestor work with him and with his mom, my abuelita. And uh, she's from Puerto Rico. And my dad was born in Puerto Rico. And then they moved to the Bronx in New York. (laughs) So that's where he was raised. But um, so for me, Samhain is just, it's a really, it's really a time for me to reconnect with those parts of myself and my Mm -hmm. family that I haven't been able to do on this plane as much. Um, But I really love all of the Sabbaths and I would not get rid of any of them. Like Mm -hmm. they all serve a very important purpose. That kind of goes back to the idea of balance. And I can't imagine like kicking one off the calendar or the wheel of the year. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I do. I don't think it's really that cliche that you like Salon as a witch. We all do. (laughs) (laughs) It's that. It's It's freaking that, man. That's right. That's right. Yule is actually my favorite, but Samhain is is definitely up there too. Yule is another really really great one, and I I always hated Christmas as a kid, um, mostly because of trauma. <laughs> but now, I'm like Yule is awesome. Like our mm-hmm. whole house is just like Christmas lights and pine and cinnamon for months, and I love it. Yeah. I I will start October 1st if I'm allowed to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I usually wait until November 1st because, you know, Halloween. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I like to ask my guests to share a spell or a ritual. Do you have one to share today? So I actually just posted this one, and I haven't written down the words for it yet. But basically, because of the super moon that's coming up, mm-hmm. um, this is an opportunity to create. And of course, it doesn't have to be this super moon. It could be next time we have a, a full moon or whatever. It's an opportunity for us to create new pathways from what we're releasing and mm-hmm. what we are going to move into. And in order to do this, the instructions say to take a stick of cinnamon. You're being so patient, sweetheart. You Mommy, it's almost done. Almost done, baby. I'm going to tell you something right now. Okay. I'm always stop saying the verb. Oh, do you remember to find the button with the with the little speaker on it? Bring me the bring me the buttons, and I'll show you which button to push. <laughs> Um, so you take a cinnamon stick, you pick a doorway between two rooms or two spaces in your house. You pick which one of those spaces you want to be your space to release in. That's going to be your space that you go to for comfort, to relax, and to just let everything go. You go sit in that space. You cry, you release, you just let everything out, you meditate, you just, you release, and you create a calm space in there. And then you go to your doorway, you take your cinnamon stick, and you trace it along the door or the entryway into the next space, and you say, this is my space for releasing when I am here I am calm, I am protected, all of the things. Mm -hmm. And then you go through the doorway. And then you sit in that room, and this is your room for what you see, what your next moves are, what your intentions are for your next steps. 
and you sit in, you envision that, where am I going to be in the next 30 days, where I'm going to be in the next three months, whatever that is. You envision that, you sit in that, you make it real for you, meditate on it, live it, feel it, get it in your bones, you know, mm-hmm. and then you go back to your door, you trace the door with your cinnamon again, and you say, this is my space where I'm becoming my newest and best self and all of the intentions that you're setting. And then you walk through the door again. So then when you're in your calm space, that's where you can be calm and release and relax. And then when you're in your your other space, that's when you're making the things happen. This is where you're moving forward into your new intentions. And I thought that was just such a really great way to make your space work for you. Yeah. And um, make it a meaningful way to engage with these intentions instead of just kind of writing it down and then kind of forgetting about it, because I know that's what I do. Mm -hmm. We can actually actively put that energy in the space and fill the whole room with it and be like, now this is my space. When I'm having a bad day, when I'm feeling overworked, I can go into my other space. When I have stuff I need to get done, I can come into this space. And being able to set that intention. And I thought that was a really, really great idea. I love it. I love it. That's so great. And, you know, I actually, so this is my office. Right behind me is my my, my bedroom. And then through this door is my kitchen. And I would, I would probably take it one step further and say when I cross in, out of this space into that space, work stays there. And this is family. Yes. Yes. You know, this you, is where I nurture my family. And that is the beauty of these types of spells is that we mm-hmm. can definitely take them. We can reset. We can reword these intentions. We can mm-hmm. make them work for us. And we can reset them every month, every two weeks. However, often it feels right for us, for our practice and our purposes. And that's what I love about this practice and about being a witch and about magic is that it's mine, you know, and each one of us has our own and it's such a unique and amazing way for us to all bond and have commonality, but still be unique, strong individuals. Absolutely. So I know momming is calling. (laughs) So why don't we take some time to share your socials, uh, if you have a website, where we can find you, anything upcoming? Um, I don't have anything big upcoming yet. Um, if anybody is planning on going to Anahata's Purpose, I did put in my application for facilitator this year. So we'll Ooh. see how that goes. I'll, let, I'll, I'll be announcing it on my show if I get accepted. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing back about that. Um, but yeah, my social. And hey, is- Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rachel, I, I she is so busy and she's so incredible though. Like she opened up my whole life by making sure that I got into that, um, into into Anahata's last year. She made sure she's like, I know you need to be here, so I'm gonna make sure that you get here. And I got there, and man, my whole life has changed. It's incredible. That's awesome. But yeah, so um. I have an email, thewitchyhistorian at gmail.com. Really easy. You can also find me and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thewitchyhistorian. The page name is the Witchy Historian Pod Listeners, but that's really complicated, so you can probably just search the <laughs> – or just type it in the, in the um, URL bar. Um, mm-hmm. On Instagram, I'm at Witchy Historian, and on TikTok, I'm at The Witchy Historian. Um, I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash The Witchy Historian. So I've got a little bit of everything going on. There's three different levels of support on Patreon. I try to make it affordable for everybody, and I'm starting to get my socials for those paid levels launch mm-hmm. this month and things are starting to happen there and my first subscription box is going out this month so we're really excited about that i'm pairing up with another bean actually another 
another Witch Witch Amateur Hour listener, um, and uh, she is launching her business, and she is going to help me stock my box this month, so I'm really excited That's about great. it. Yeah. That's great. You want to tell us who she is? Yeah. Um, her name is Becca, and she is at the Didelphus Goddess. Oh, I, I know her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she took the crystal wrapping class with me at Anahata just this last year, and now she's, like, doing a whole business, and I'm like, girl, look at you go. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, great. Good for her. Really quickly. I'm so, so proud of her and, like, just the amazing energy and the people that were at Anahata's have made so many of us have the ability to blossom and grow and become um, strong enough and confident enough to step into our power. And that is something that I don't think we will ever be able to repay. So we just pay it forward. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's, that's how I got started. I went to Anahata's and it was like a kick in the ass. Okay. Yeah. I'll do it now. Yep. So that's exactly what it was too. Yep. It was a little mess across the back of the head. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. Here we go. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with me today and taking some time away from your family. I know that you're busy with your uh, master's thesis as well. So thank you so, so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. I always love um, talking to people and sharing with people. So this was, this was great. Yeah. And we'll have you back again. I'll have more historical questions for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, um, summertime is great for me, so you just let me know. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next time. Yes, bye. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on my website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email me at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash the hearth and hedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you find your podcasts.